What up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and on this very special episode, we will be continuing our G1 coverage. This is going to be G1 Climax 32, Night 7, that happened on July 27, 2022. As always, if you enjoy these episodes, please make sure to give it a like, tell a friend, and definitely make sure to sign up at marieshadows.substack.com for all your wrestling coverage. Let's hop right into the action. We are starting off with D-Block. We have Yujiro representing House of Torture versus Will Ospreay representing United Empire. In the beginning of this match, even commentators Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton are a little worried that Peter is not with Yudro and that Peter is somewhere because the last time Yudro fought Bullet Club member ELP, Yudro tried to sell her for two points. But that's not the case. Or maybe it is. Either way, the last match. ELP walked away with Peter. However, Peter came out very hesitantly in this match for night seven to see if Yudro would take her back. She threw up the two sweet sign and Yudro decided to hug her. So now everything is fine. Everything is okay. Yudro and Peter are back together. For those that do not watch the G1 or haven't gotten around to watch Yudro matches or understand New Japan Pro Wrestling, Yudro's character is a Tokyo pimp and he has a very beautiful bunny named Peter, which is P-I-E-T-E-R. So we say Peter and she is very beautiful and she does interpreted dance into the ring and that is his valet. She's also part of Bullet Club. We have a fast start to this match where Yudro begins with a big boot, some chops. Osprey then manages to create some distance between the two and does a flying forearm to slow down the match and slow down the pace. He ends up giving Yudro some of his own chops and then a drop kick to Yudro that sends him to the outside. But... I keep saying this in every single podcast episode there is. Whenever I talk about Bullet Club and or House of Torture, they are experts on the outside. Every single wrestler should know this by now. Do not fight Bullet Club or House of Torture members on their own terms. They are dangerous when it comes to using the outside to their advantage. It does not matter if you are a veteran. Things happen and Bullet Club and House of Torture always takes over. There's always shenanigans. They're always one step ahead of you when they're on the outside. Do not follow them onto the outside. So this is where Yudro takes advantage of Osprey, shoving him into the barricade, doing a DDT as a follow up. Once inside the ring, we get a back body drop to Osprey by Yudro, and Osprey manages to get some more offense in by doing a handspring kick and a leaping forearm to follow that up. Osprey goes for the cover, Yudro kicks out. Yudro decides to do a fisherman buster to Osprey and goes for the cover, Osprey kicks out. Osprey is not going to lay down that easily. Osprey hits Yudro. We have a headbutt. We have a flying hidden blade this time. 
Usually the hidden blade is done on the ground where the opponent is on their knees and here comes Osprey to hit his elbow across the head and neck of the opponent. But this time around, it was from the top rope. So it is a flying hidden blade, which was cool. It was nice to see. Then we get a 450 splash by Osprey. Osprey goes for the cover. Yudro kicks out. And there is a ref distraction. We get a low blow. And then we get a follow-up move on Osprey by Yudro. I heard commentators say it's called Money Shine. I'm not too exactly sure. However, Osprey kicks out of this. We get a DDT and then Pimp Juice by Yudro. Again, Yudro goes for the cover on Osprey. Osprey kicks out. Osprey then does a pop-up forearm and then followed up with a hidden blade. He goes over to cover Yudro and the referee counts one, two, three, and Osprey wins. That victory gives him two points in the G1 Climax 32. Our next match is A Block, Yano, representing Chaos, versus Bad Luck Fale, representing Bullet Club. You guys know that I have to at least say fuck Yano at least once in one of my podcast episodes, right? This one, not so much. I really did not care about this match. I still think that Yano and nothing against Fale, but Bad Luck Fale and Yano should have been replaced with fresher talent in the G1 Climax 32. I'm just saying that we didn't really need them in the G1 because we knew that they weren't winning. They were just placeholders and it's just like as much as I enjoyed Bad Luck Fale's run in the G1 it was really good it's still one of those things of like him and Yano in there when younger guys that want to be in this prestigious tournament are not there you know and so nothing really happened in the match the only highlight of the match was that both of them decided to sit on a chair opposite of each other bad luck Fale is in the ring yano is out on the outside and if you follow yano to the outside yano will find some type of trickery to get you counted out or something where he wins the match so bad luck Fale already knows this he already knows what yano is all about so he's not falling for it he was basically yelling at yano to come into the ring while yano was saying you know come outside the ring and the referee started counting so that forces yano to go back into the ring because yano does not want to suffer a count out even though he wants his opponent to suffer the count out and him get the victory Yano man Yano that's all I have to say about Yano so Yano goes back into the ring I still have to tell you about the match so don't you know in jokingly say that I thought you weren't going to talk about Yano anymore but I have to talk about the match so Yano goes back into the ring we got to roll up kick out Fale body slams Yano and then Yano manages to spray some water into Fale's face, but that doesn't stop Fale at all. Fale uses the corner pad on Yano. And then we get a roll-up. This roll-up wins the match and gives Bad Luck Fale two points in the G1 Climax 32. Our next match is C-Block. We have Aaron Hinare representing United Empire, 
taking on Goto, representing Chaos. I enjoyed this match. I enjoy watching Goto. I enjoy watching Aaron Hanare. No one gives Hanare enough credit in his matches, and they have significantly improved ever since joining United Empire. Of course, there are tiny things that he can improve on, like putting the pressure on his opponent more, staying on top of his opponent, making sure that his opponent doesn't get the chance to breathe, that no wasted movement or moment is wasted during the time that the match has. Because the moment that you give your opponent some time to breathe, some time to think, that's when stuff goes downhill. So those are like the tiny things that can be tying up. But other than that, it's all good. Now, there is a story that goes around that Hinari says that he felt like he had a glass ceiling placed on him when he was a member of Hantai. And I totally believe that is true. But I do need commentators to move the story forward every time Hinari is in there. Every time Hinari is in there, it should be like no more talking about the glass ceiling promo that Hinari put out and more about Hinari in his new position, in his new weight class, in his new moves and actions and just the all around badass that he is now. Because if he obviously did not break away from Hantai, Hanare will be doing something else in wrestling. He wouldn't be a New Japan pro wrestler. He'll be somewhere else where someone else can see the talent that he has and nurture it. But thankfully, Will Ospreay was like, yo, you want to join the United Empire? And it has definitely been a very good change for Hanare to grow, to master the fact that he is this badass and can finally show how badass he is rather than listening to the veterans in New Japan Pro Wrestling that looks at wrestling one way when you're a babyface. And it's sometimes black and white because the thought pattern in Japan is more like you have to play to the crowd, you have to sell, you have to try to get yourself over as a babyface. Like it's very fundamental wrestling mindset when you're with the veterans because that's what got them over back in the day. New Japan Pro Wrestling started in 1972, so they're already 50 years in. So when they were 10 years, 15 years, it was a totally different mindset and there wasn't a lot of American influence when New Japan was starting to come up in the 70s and 80s and like early 90s. Only now does New Japan Pro Wrestling have a huge influx of American fans who appreciate the product, who can tell you about New Japan like no other and support these guys full on full. So I think moving forward, talking about Hinari should be about how badass he is, what kind of goals he wants, what kind of championships he wants and ideas and ways on how he can try to get those championship titles and just everything in between. I don't think that during the G1, we should just go back to the glass ceiling promo and then talk about it, get some insight. There's really not much to talk about there. So this brings me into my next segue for this match. The match between Hinare versus Godot opens up with a power struggle. 
Hinari has extra weight on him, extra power on him. Goto just fights with power when he can. He can definitely match other wrestlers and adapt to their style and definitely show off. So even though they're having a power struggle at this moment in the beginning of the match, there's still some tiny bit of chain wrestling, so like headlocks into wrist locks. And this is where paying attention to detail in matches really count and gets me super excited because I love attention to detail. So we go from a headlock to a wrist lock. And this is Goto. Goto has the wrist lock on Aaron Hinare. Aaron Hinari decides to pull Goto in and headbutt the wrist lock so that way Goto can break his grip and Aaron Hinari can take advantage by getting a hammer lock on Goto. And this opens the body for some body shots on Goto. Hinari goes for some kicks and then he does that beautiful leaping kick from the second rope. Aaron Hanare is very quick. He goes for that heel hook on Goto. Goto gets to the rope to cause a rope break. So Hanare lets Goto up. They have a few more exchanges until Hanare manages to tie up the legs of Goto and leans forward and gets a cross face on Goto and stretching him upward. Hanari then changes by grabbing the arms of Goto and curb stomping him into the mat. Later on in the match, we get Goto doing a lariat. Then we get a jumping kick, bulldog combination to Hinari from Goto. Goto goes for the cover, Hinari kicks out. Now, Hinari comes in with his high knee attack and Samoan drop combination on Goto, then goes up to the second rope and does a senton on Goto. Goto manages to kick out of the pin attempt. And as Hinare tries to do Ultima, which is a full Nelson submission on Goto by clasping his hands on the back of the neck of Goto while his arms are raising in the air. Goto is trying so hard to fight out of the Ultima attempt, the finisher attempt, and he does. He stomps on Hinari's foot, which no one else has done. So I do know that Goto is crafty. And also, if Hinari fights Naito again, Naito is also crafty, but I did not see that happen when he fought Naito. But these guys are crafty, so pay attention to that. Goto stomps his foot, then does a hip toss, and then does the Yushigoroshi on Hinare to fully break the Ultima. Goto quickly goes in for some strikes, elbows, straight to Hinare, and Hinare absorbs all that, and in an effort, does a berserker bomb to Goto. We then get a forearm exchange. Hinare manages to do Rampage. And goes for a cover on Goto. Goto kicks out. Hinari then tries to go for Ultima again. However, changes it to try to do Streets of Rage. But that's countered by Goto. And then we get a roundhouse kick to Goto by Hinari. After Goto recovers from that amazing roundhouse kick, 
Goto was able to do the GTW, which is get through and withstand on Hinare. Goes for the cover on Hinare. Hinare kicks out. This is when Goto follows it up with the GTR, covers Hinare, and Goto wins, giving him two points in the G1 Climax 32. And now we have the main event. This is B Block. Ishii versus Tama. Ishii is representing Chaos. Tama is representing Hontai, which is main unit. This match really tested Tama's strength and endurance against Ishii. Ishii is known as the Stone Pit Bull. That means that Ishii could take a lot of damage. It doesn't matter what you do. Ishii's going to come back and he's going to hit you 10 times harder. And then when Ishii gets into that dark place, his eyes go black. They also grow big, but you feel them as daggers and he really wants you at your best. You cannot go into an Ishii match and give him anything less than what he's throwing back at you. You have to really either match his level of intensity, surprise him, or be better than him in the match. Tama has a lot of experience in the wrestling business. His father is Kane Haku, and Kane Haku is just as tough as Ishii. So, of course, Kane Haku training his sons, training Tama. Tama knows exactly what to expect from Ishii. This isn't really the first time that Tama has been in the ring with Ishii. They've been in the ring like tag team, six man, but not like one on one. So this was a very wonderful treat to watch. So this match had a lot of hard hitting strikes. Ishii mainly getting the upper hand and really getting in some powerful forearm shots that would send Tama straight down to his butt when he's in the corner. And Tama would just accept it, but not accept it as if like this is going to be an easy match, but just absorb the shots that Ishii gave him. Tama came out the gate also with his own powerful attacks as well. Different types of suplexes and slams. Tama obviously got in his drop kicks. Tama also made sure to get in the tongue and twist on Ishii to give them some time. Then we had a series of counters. We had a Hurricanrana that countered Ishii. Tama picked up Ishii for a Death Valley driver, followed by a Supreme Flow, which is an awesome looking splash from the top rope. Tama goes to cover Ishii and Ishii kicks out. Tama in this match was using the gun stun way too frequently and it wasn't being sneaky enough. So the gun stun is very similar. So the gun stun is very similar to a Randy Orton RKO, where you could definitely pull out this move anywhere in a match. The gun stun was passed down to Tama by facing Carl Anderson. And I'm probably going to say this here, and I'm going to say this tonight when I host a special podcast episode of the Square Circle Podcast over on twitch.tv forward slash Square Circle Podcast. That I think it's time for Tama to either retire the gun stun or 
improve the gun stun to where he doesn't use it as desperately as he did in this match against Ishii. I totally understand that Ishii is a very powerful wrestler and that he's able to absorb a lot of punishment. But if you can't sneakily be very sneakful and using the gun stun and Ishii could see it coming from a mile away and you think that once he swats you away and that if you can do it again because it might be just a quick overturn and he may or may not see it that doesn't mean you're always going to get someone in the gun stun because once they know that it's coming the percentage of you hitting the gun stun goes down the gun stun has to be treated like a Randy Orton RKO attack where no one sees it coming out of nowhere. That's why we all get up out of our seats and say, oh, it came out of nowhere because you least expect it at the most weirdest times in a match. Now, Tama can do this or he doesn't have to do this but i'm just saying that in this match in particular because it was used so desperately that it's like you got to slow down you got to reassess you may have to pull out some more tricks out of your bag out of your moveset and have the gun stun there when you really really need it it's like now how okada has the money clip and then also the rainmaker and sometimes during okada's career he will pull the rainmaker out when you least expect it even though now it's more of a setup where like when he has his arms out and the camera goes to that white shot to see everybody that's when you know the rainmaker is going to be coming sometimes he gets the rainmaker sometimes he doesn't and then when he does it's just a wonderful treat to look at the same way that the gun stun is wonderful to look at tama has really performed well with the gun stun when it came to evil doing the gun stun on evil was beautiful doing the gun stun on other wrestlers that he's been in the ring with is also amazing too it's just that in this particular match against ishii i understand the desperation to try to get the gun stun because that is your exclamation point to win the match i totally get it i totally get why he does this in the match to make it look desperate but Tama is way better than that as a professional wrestler. Tama is way better than that as a babyface and thinking how to be a babyface. Because Ishii is not necessarily the heel in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Ishii is not necessarily the heel in any of uh, the stories because he really doesn't have a story at the moment in New Japan Pro Wrestling. We just know him as the Stone Pitbull and it's very difficult to try to get past a wall like Ishii. So sometimes you have to be desperate. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. In this case, heading towards the end of the match, we get a lot of counters. And it takes Ishii to do his patented brain buster to put Tama away and Ishii to pick up the win and get two points in the G1 Climax 32. Tama did everything he could for this match, in particular against Ishii. I don't think Tama is used to wrestling Ishii. This is probably the first time that they met in singles action. I may have to research it, but in singles action, this is probably maybe the first time. I do remember as a trios, 
Tama has fought Ishii. As tag team with his brother and Loa, he probably fought Ishii because Ishii is probably teaming with Goto or Yoshihashi, one of those two guys. But it's just the fact that I know how much smarter Tama is in the ring. He's a very great wrestler, very great thinker. And he pulls out moves that make you feel. He does things that make you feel. And that's what wrestling is missing sometimes. The moments that make you feel so you can remember certain points in history where you're like, let's compare this and that. And let me explain to you why this brings me so much joy. I also understand Ishii. Ishii takes a lot of power. Ishii is not necessarily a heel at this very moment in New Japan Pro Wrestling, but you know that he is that stone wall and you have to do everything in your power to try to take him down. The easiest way to take him down is to attack his knees, unfortunately, and that's the best way to take Ishii out. But I do want to say this. I haven't come to the episode yet where I heard through the grapevines that Chase Owens got a win over Ishii. How the fuck does Chase Owens have a win over Ishii? When Tama was trying his best and he couldn't get a win over Ishii. What are they doing in New Japan with this booking? Seriously. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that has been a review of night seven for the G1 Climax 32 of 2022. I hope you guys enjoyed my assessment, enjoyed all of the knowledge of New Japan Pro Wrestling and just explained everything to you. If you enjoy it, then by all means, please tell a friend. If you're listening to this on anchor.fm forward slash square circle podcast, make sure to follow the podcast. If you're listening to this on Spotify and Apple, please make sure to give a star rated review. Those reviews help. It helps the algorithm. It lets people know that there is a podcast out there that talks about professional wrestling. If you are listening to this via marieshadows.substack.com, make sure to leave a like, leave a comment. Let me know what you learned. Let me know what you want to understand more. If you have questions, leave them down below in the comments. I will gladly answer anything and everything that you guys have to question. And if I don't know, I'll do some research, give you an answer like that. I really want people to understand New Japan Pro Wrestling a little bit more, these wrestlers a little bit more, these characters a little bit more. So by all means, if you want to leave a comment, go ahead. And also tell a friend to sign up to marieshadows.substack.com. We're only getting started here. So if you help me out now, it's going to be awesome. Also follow me on Twitter at Marie underscore shadows. And also follow my Twitch channel, which tonight will be a very special episode of the Square Circle Podcast. Don't miss out on that. Head over to twitch.tv forward slash Marie underscore shadows. All right, guys, you have been listening to an episode of the Square Circle Podcast where I continue my G1 coverage. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and I'll see you guys on the next one.